And we're in this study called Teach Us to Pray. And what we're sort of learning up top in this study is like prayer is all relationship. If you think about it, I mean, how do conversations change when it's a different person? You know, how's a conversation different with a spouse, than a boss, than a child, than a next door neighbor, right? With an old friend. And so what Jesus is trying to do is he's leading the disciples into a relationship that's only made possible by him, okay? And I love father's stories. Jesus is going to tell a couple. He's going to show us first a friend and then fathers as we're going to see in this passage. But think of those beautiful father's stories. Years ago, I, I ordered the book. I was encouraged to read this book by Dick Hoyt. It's called Devoted. It tells the story of him and his son named Ricky. Ricky, when he was born, had the umbilical cord around his neck and so he was brain damaged. And as a result, it's like he could never walk. He could never talk. What kind of life? was he going to have and as he got older a time came in which the parents are like well we can we we know that he's thinking and we want to communicate with him how are we going to be able to do that so they took him to Tufts University it was not far from them and took him to the researchers and the researchers said this guy can't communicate so why do you want us to help you learn how to communicate and so the father said well we'll tell Ricky a joke And one of the researchers told him a joke. He just started laughing. And at that point, the researcher said, we've got to figure out how to to open things up so that he can talk to you. And in those days, Ricky could only move his head. So they literally designed a device where by banging his head, he could begin to communicate with his parents. And so as time passes, he watches TV, he gets involved in all kinds of things, watching. And one day, he's watching a show And they're talking about a racing event or running event, I should say, more than a race, to support a young man who was paralyzed, and he typed out with his head the words, I want to run. And Dick, his dad, was like, what? And sure enough, that's what his son Ricky was trying to tell him, and Dick was in terrible shape, terrible shape. So it's like, how am I going to run in this race and get my son to go along with me. So they took what looks like a giant big person stroller and put it in front of Dick. And Dick went out and he ran that race. As bad shape he was, somehow he pushed his son over that whole course. And when he got to the end of the race, his son simply said, when I ran, I didn't feel disabled. And it's like, well, you didn't actually do the running. But no, he felt like he was alive. He could feel the wind passing over him. It felt like he was running himself. And so here is this father who all he can think about is, how can my son have the best possible life? How, what can I do to invest in him? And so you can imagine Dick himself, he got into running all over this because he wanted his son to have the fullest life possible. And as I read that, I think about, think of the beauty of a father investing in a child so they can have the best possible future. And then you begin to think about our father, God. You see, the reality is this. If, if you do not know God as your loving father, you're not going to know how to pray. Again, because it's relational, how, what will you say before God when you appear before you, him? How will you communicate with him unless you understand it will either be a chore for you or you'll, it'll be an emergency that drives you to him, but it will not be this kind of communication that God longs for us to have with him. And so that's where God leads us. Would you pray with me? 
Father, it really is true. It's as we see you, as we have come to know you, that we learn how to, to approach you. And so I pray that even as we're here together today, that by your grace, you'll help us to know that in Jesus we're, we're safe, and even more than that, we're welcome, and even more than that, we're wanted, and even more than that, we're loved. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. The prophet Isaiah said, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. But do we believe that about God? That he really wants to hear us? You know, we're in this amazing moment in history in which, you know, probably for 100 years, people haven't experienced all of the kinds of emotions and things that are just happening culturally. I don't know if you know, but I mean, it's interesting reading about what's happened post-COVID and, and why is there such interest in God and connecting with him. The sociologists say they're actually, we're actually in our third phase of response to COVID. Likely, along with me, you heard about the first one. It was simply called the Great Resignation in which people just walked away from stuff, from relationships and, and work and places where they'd always been because it just didn't feel right. Something was wrong about it. And then we sort of went into a, a second phase. Maybe you've heard this one too. It's just called quiet quitting in which maybe you stayed, but sort of inside you were checking out. You were just like, I'm not here and I'm not engaged. And this was happening. And now we're in this third phase. And you know what it's been called? It's been called the great Resentment, resentment. By the way, I don't know if you know that people are marching in streets and countries all around the world. Workplaces are being torn apart. I don't know if you know, but in many places, HR people are just maxed out because they're dealing with petty things that are happening in the workplace as things aren't working. You know, think about it. I mean, people can't hardly handle an airplane ride. Now there's a crisis on board the plane while it's in the air. People are being separated. Conflict is bubbling up almost everywhere. And we're feeling this. We don't know how to put it into words. We've never really been in a place like this. And what do we do at a moment like this? And you know, this is a time when, when we were sort of looking at things and saying, we need to pray. We need to realize this connection with our Father that, that keeps us on a foundation that's stable no matter how the winds change and, and things are, are changing culturally. And as broken as the world is, as, as you know, God is not detached. He is not distant. God is not indifferent. And so we're going along in this study and learning, oh, God is available to us. And by the way, this is also opening up a time in which people are spiritually seeking more than oftentimes they have in decades. So you say, well, how am I to pray? And, and how do I learn how to pray? And to whom, to whom am I going in prayer? And that's sort of our core struggle with prayer. How are we to see God? And what am I to expect of God? And so this little section of Jesus, which is, by the way, is one of the most important teachings of Jesus on prayer, is about the God we approach when we come in prayer. This is more, there's more here than we can pick apart. And actually that little section Peggy read that sounds like the Lord's Prayer, but it's a little shorter. We're gonna open that up from the Gospel of Matthew next week. So we're largely gonna skip over that. Our text today begins with these words, Lord, 
Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, you might wonder at this point, the disciples have been with Jesus for a long time. Why hasn't he given them the teaching on prayer? We know that the disciples of John the Baptist, he taught them, his disciples, how they were to pray. And the Jewish people, by the way, if you woke up every morning, there were 18 sort of approved prayers that you would engage with at three different times in the day. Like when you wake up in the morning, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and before you go to bed at night. But Jesus has not taught them anything about prayer. Why not, why not teach them? And here's why. Some things can be taught, but other things need to be caught. They have to be caught. And so imagine what this is like. The disciples are watching Jesus, and first, he seems to always be praying. At every crucial moment, he's turning to the Father. For example, Jesus prayed when he taught the multitudes, when he multiplied the loaves and fishes, when he selected his disciples. By the way, he stayed up all night and prayed through the night before he selected them, before the apostle Peter came to believe at the Mount of Transfiguration. There are more and more times as well. You get the idea, and the disciples are watching. They're watching, and he hasn't taught them. And then they come to him, and they say, Lord, teach us. But, but this is what they're hearing. Every time Jesus prays, Father, Father. In Aramaic, it's the word Abba, Abba, Abba. And by the way, no ancient Jewish writer ever addresses God in this way. And all of a sudden, they're in the presence of Jesus, and he is having a conversation with God as his loving father. They've never heard anything like this. And you see, what they're doing when they say, teach us to pray, they're not saying, teach us what we should be praying. They want to know the presence of God. They want to learn how to pray as Jesus is praying. How do I pray like you, Jesus. So in here, Jesus is actually coming before the living God. He's having communion with the Father. And if you could hear, there's such honesty and, and there's intimacy. If you ever with somebody and you're like, wow, I would love to get to the place where I could have conversations with God that are like that. This is what the disciples asked for. Not what to pray, but how to pray. I remember years ago, I was on a staff of a church in New Jersey, and they were building their first building. And one day, we had a pastor from Korea come and visit us, and we took him out to lunch. And we drove him by the property where our building that was just starting to be built. The walls weren't even up yet. And as we drove by the property, he said, could we pull over here? And as soon as we did and the car stopped, he got out of the car and he said, come with me. And he walked and he went right into the construction site. And as he's going into the building, he asks us, well, where, do the, where are the people going to sit when they're worshiping? And where is the, the, the teacher? Where is the pastor? Where is he going to preach from in the worship service? And we pointed, you got to understand, it's, it's filled with dirt, Right? Because there's not a building there yet. There's just sort of like this skeleton of a building. And he goes right over to the place and brings us over with him. And at some point, he puts our, his hands on our shoulders and he just kneels down there in the dirt and he begins to call out to God. And he's praying for the people who are going to be worshiping in that place and the people who will be speaking in that room. And by the way, in my mind, we weren't on a dirt floor in a construction site. We were in the presence of the living God. And this man was calling out on behalf of those people 
who would benefit from that place. And at some point you realize, this man is communing with God. This is what the disciples experienced when they were with Jesus. And they learned those 18 prayers by rote. And here they're with Jesus. And they find this kind of communion. And they're like, Lord, we, we want this too. We want to experience this. And so Jesus teaches them. He's teaching them about these two, using two primary relationships. Open our eyes to the way you pray. We can pray this way as well. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children were in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, Jesus is talking about a time in which there's no Airbnb, there's no price line, you can't check into a hotel, and so that you were really at the mercy of other people when you traveled. And this is why in the ancient world, hospitality was so prized. The reputation, your reputation would rest on how well you treated guests who were in your home. And this is a friend who's come into this man's home and he has nothing to lay before him. So he goes to his neighbor, who is also a friend, and he knocks on his door and the guy says, look, I'm not gonna wake the baby up. You gotta be kidding me. Go back home. Wait till tomorrow. But he keeps on beating on the door, right? And finally, his friend answers. And this is what Jesus says. Because of your shameless audacity, and you notice how he shifted? Because of your shameless audacity, surely he will get up and give you as much as you need. You see, Jesus is saying, you got to understand your father is like the friend. But is he asleep? Does he, he doesn't want to be disturbed? No, he's saying exactly the opposite. Look at the next words. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's saying, look, God isn't asleep. That neighbor who's even your friend doesn't want to be bothered. But God, his door is open. He wants you to come to him. Why is Jesus telling them this story? Our father is so generous. He wants us to come. He, wants, he knows that we have needs. He knows that we're afraid and insecure. He knows that we're not in control of our very lives. He knows how much we need. And as we read elsewhere in Scripture, it's like, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the nature of the God who is his, your father. I remember reading the story years ago of Sojourner Truth, if you've never heard her name. She's an amazing woman who was freed from slavery at that time of the Civil War and walked with Christ. And she then became involved in a movement that really changed the country at the time. You'll see a, a picture of her, but she was also walked with Christ through all of that. You could see it in her prayers. And at one point, she only had one child, a son. He, threw, he fell deathly ill. And she thought he might die. And she came before God. And this was her prayer. Oh God, you know how much I am distressed, for I've told you again and again. Now God, help me get my son. If you were in trouble as I am, and I could help you as you could help me, do you think I wouldn't do it? Yes, God, you know I would do it. 
That's boldness, right? God, I'm right here, and I'm not going anywhere. And, and I want you to hear me. She is pressing God. Jesus actually used those words. You have to love them. Shameless audacity. This is how we pray because we know the door is open and God wants us to ask and seek and knock. And yes, that friend, he gave him all that he needed. You see, Jesus is teaching us how to pray because we know that God is generous. God didn't reject the audacity of Sojourner Truth. He, he answered her prayer and indeed gave her her son. And I'm te not telling you this because you, our audacious prayers are always answered but because this is how we come to pray when we come to know who God is and we come to know that he's our loving father. This is how we learn to pray as a result of that. So Jesus' first story of this friend in desperate need, and he's saying, hey, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid of how audacious your request is. And let me say it like this. I, I think it works like this. You see, you, we measure our prayers based on, we, on who we think God is and how strong we feel our relationship with him is. That will determine our prayers. It said one of Alexander the Great, the Greek general who took over most of the known world at that time, one of his generals returned from battle and Alexander told him he could ask of the treasurer in his kingdom of anything he wanted. And the general went to his treasurer and asked for this incredible amount of money, I mean, an overwhelming amount. And it was so great that the treasurer didn't believe that Alexander would grant it to him. And so he sent word to the emperor, and he said, isn't this a mistake? And listen to what the emperor, what Alexander said. No, let him have it all. I like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. You know, I think we demonstrate who, what we believe about God by how we pray. And, I, and as I think about this, I think, I'm not sure my prayers are audacious at all. But do you know that your father is generous and, and your prayers should be as such? Again, your prayers show what you believe about God. You believe that God is, is rich and generous, so let your prayer be audacious. Look at what you're asking God, and, and you begin to see our, our prayers are weak. They, they reflect this weak view of who God is or, or this weak view of his grace. And so now those words of Jesus are some of the most important promises we find in Scripture. He says, so I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I call this God's open door policy. He's like, oh, you want to come to me? Come to me anytime. And I remember when I was in college, like one of my favorite professors had one half hour of office hour the third Thursday of every month if it was an even day. But if it was an odd day or another day or another week, I could not see him. And here's God. Like, go to him anytime. Go with your audacious request. He stands ready to hear and respond at all times. And that's what they're seeing in Jesus. He's not praying at those three times of the day. He, he's praying all the time. And this means also nothing is too small for prayer. Because our Father is accessible. I think that's what we have to fight off, these thoughts. That God is so immense and our universe so vast. And I'm so small and so broken. God wouldn't hear me. I'm a nobody. How can I go to him? 
but yet think this is an astonishing privilege that you have access. You know, one of the pictures, maybe you've seen it, I've returned to it a bunch of times, which is so beautiful. It comes from the White House in the 1960s. You'll see it right here. You see, that's John F. Kennedy behind the Resolute desk, and that's his son who's like playing under the desk. You gotta love that. This guy is arguably the most powerful political leader on earth. This little boy who's a toddler, by the way, there hadn't been a child born in the White House in 80 years, is playing under his desk and calling him daddy. Hold on a minute. That's us. God is in control of all of this. And we have the privilege of playing in his feet. It's there. Well, how can you say that God hears us? How can we come to him? How do we have access to God and know that God is for us? Here's Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's also talking about Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. He says, you want to know how you can freely come to God? It's because of the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. He's opened this way. He's describing the temple where if you went up to the temple, there's a space where God is said to dwell that only one guy can go in on one day out of the year, and then he has to be carrying blood to cover his sin. And what the scripture teaches is that the moment Jesus died at the crucifixion, the curtain separating everybody from the presence of God was torn from top to bottom, heaven to earth. And all of a sudden, God puts out the, the welcome sign. You guys can come in. Did you know that? Newsflash. Jesus has opened the way. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, this is the new and living way. You see, we live every day thinking, wow, I got to really get things together if I can see God. Or if I'm going to communicate with God, I, I have to be right. I, I, I have to be right approved to do that. And here this way is open through Jesus. This is how Jesus can tell his disciples, ask you guys. Don't be afraid to seek and knock. I'm making the way. You see, he's completed the work of restoring us to God and bringing us to the Father that loves us and the curtain has been opened, and we can come in freely into God's presence. Of course we can come. We should come. And so prayer is this avenue for God's grace. It is in responding to our prayers that he continually confirms his love for us. I remember years ago, I was serving a church in New Jersey, and a woman in our church uh, got admitted to a psychiatric hospital, and she was actually in the lockdown unit. And I went there to visit her, and, um, and I was led in because I was her pastor, and I went in, and I prayed with her. It was really cool because when I prayed with her, she said, hey, um, how about we kneel at my bed? I said, that's really great. Well, there was another bed in her room, and the woman in that bed watched us praying, and she said, would you be willing to pray with me? And so I went through the gospel. I shared the gospel with her, and she understood. And I went over to pray, and I said, look, I'm going to pray, and then I want you to pray and she said, uh, what do you mean you want me to pray? And I said, no, I want you to pray. I'm going to pray. I want you to. She said, I've never prayed a prayer that wasn't in a prayer book. And I said, it's okay. You've been talking with me. I want you to talk with your heavenly father. 
And it was a beautiful thing as we both knelt on opposite sides of her bed and she prayed her first prayer that was the new and living way. It wasn't out of a prayer book. It was just her communicating with her father. And the beauty of listening to her doing that, that is, this is the invitation. It's what it means for our father. So we can go to God with, with anything. God cares about the big things and small things. And by the way, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we'll see immense things, the kingdom of God, and we'll see daily bread, right? The small stuff. And it means that we can pray for the world and for day's food. It means you can pray for your cancer treatments, but also a parking spot, okay? You might want to tell your friends, they may think it's sort of silly, but God wants you to do that because he loves you. You can pray for your marriage which is struggling and you can pray for the cold that you've been fighting for the last two days, all of it. Here's Jesus, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We need to be careful when we read the promise of Jesus because he's not saying, by the way, God's a giant vending machine and if you push the right buttons, you're always gonna get what you want. Or if you say the right words, God has to answer. He's your father. He's not Santa Claus or that vending machine in the sky. He may actually tell you no, or there may be silence. But that doesn't mean he's not engaged and present and that God doesn't care for you because all of our prayers pass through Jesus. And he says, you need to know how God loves you. And it's then that Jesus gives two very unlikely scenarios in the form of of a question, right, to teach us about our loving father. He says, which of you, fa you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now think about this with me for just a moment. Imagine an 11-year-old boy, he gets super excited because it's his birthday and his dad has a gift for him and he loves to go camping with his friends and with the family. And so his dad gives him a, a new backpack. And when he opens it up, he's all excited. He has to open up all those compartments. And finally, when he gets to the lowest compartment, a snake that's poisonous pops out and bites him because his dad put it in there. That is never gonna happen, right? Or imagine the little girl, she is going through her stocking on Christmas morning and she knows, because in their family they always put a little orange down at the bottom, does that happen at your house? And she's digging down through the stuff and as she does that, she gets to the bottom and she, oh, she feels something and as her hand comes out, her dad has put a scorpion in the bottom of her Christmas stocking. That is never gonna happen. And Jesus says, look, if you know human fathers would never do something like this, what do you think about your heavenly father? Who, do you, who in the world do you think he is? And not only that, he says, look, if, if you ask him, he's gonna give your spirit, his spirit to you, which literally means he's not only gonna give you good gifts, he's going to give you more of himself. When you come to him in prayer, he's going to give you his own presence. You know, I don't think we get the grace of the gospel. In every other religion, it's like, how do I get in to see God? How can I get him to hear my prayer? How can I get him to answer my request? And here, it's all of grace. It's all done by Jesus. A pastor I know, when kids would come into his office, they noticed right away on his desk, there's a giant jar of candy. 
So while he's talking to them, they're sort of looking over at the candy, right? And he gets to the end of the conversation with them, and this is what he says before they leave the office. He says, there's only one rule about taking candy in my office. Do you know what it is? And the child knows this rule really well. I mean, they come out with it fast. I can only take one. And the pastor stops and he says, that's not the rule. The rule, the only rule is you have to take more than one. You can't just take one. You see, we are so dialed in to the way we think God, who he is, and, he's, and we think if we could just get the littlest love out of the littlest thing out of him, and he's like, how much can your hand hold? What are you asking for? And when you begin to see that, that the way you pray is to being directed by what you think about God, and Jesus now introduced you to a father who loves you beyond your comprehension. It's like, wow, prayer is not what I thought it was. It's an opportunity to take everything to him, an opportunity to, to get to know him. We think, you see, we think God is holding back, but he's doing the opposite with Jesus because even human fathers know how to give good gifts. And so the result is we can actually come to know him more and more and deeply as we pray. Now, let me tell you the end of the story of Dick Hoyt and his son, Ricky. What I didn't tell you is when he was born, he was in such difficulty that the medical folks were like, you probably shouldn't even take him home. That's how bad a condition he was in. But they did. They were told he would be little more than a vegetable all his life. But you know, love changed that boy's story. They found not only ways for Ricky to communicate, he, they discovered he loved swimming and running. And let me tell you what his dad did. His dad took him on 234 triathlons, 67 marathons. He did six Ironman competitions, over 1,000 a, a races in all. And by the way, Ricky was always out in front of him. So he crossed the finish line ahead of his dad. And because of his father's love, Ricky completed high school. And he went to college and got a college degree. You see, the story of Ricky Holt is about the power of a father's love. And one day, that's what we discover about ourselves. That the story of our lives ends up being about the father's love for you. Why you have life to begin with. And so why not be going to this father who loves us? The apostle Paul put it like this. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear his reasoning? He's like, you know, God has already given the, the biggest gift he could possibly ever give. He's given you his son. Do you think he would withhold anything else that's lesser that you actually need. So pray, seek, knock. And in the process, you're gonna discover that God desires to give you his spirit so that that communion can grow and you can enjoy God even more to enjoy the wonder of you, what you've been given in Christ, the new and living way. Would you pray with me? Father, it's really true. We're dialed in to think. We can only take one candy. There's such limits. And we've seen you that way too. We've seen you as the God who's reluctant to give to us or to love us or to care for us when actually you are the Father that you've lavished your love on us. 
And so I pray that you would help us to see that today, to see you. And Father, that we would catch this prayer that we see in Jesus. Abba, Father. Loving Father, our God. Help us to begin to receive our lives as a gift from you. Help us to know we can, should be able to take, and we can take all things to you. Help us to enjoy you so that we can glorify you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's right that today we would celebrate the Lord's Supper. and This is an opportunity we have to, um, to enjoy the gifts of God, and it's sort of like an invitation into this new and living way through Jesus. And if you're a server, if you would go ahead and come up front to be ready for this time. Um, at um, Granada, we celebrate the Lord's Supper usually about the first Sunday of every month. And it's the celebration of all that we have been given in Christ that Jesus shared with his disciples. On the night he was, Jesus was betrayed, he shared the Passover with them. And as the elements were going out, to the disciples, he told them that the bread was his body and was being given to them for their life. Right? So we're just learning about the body of Jesus in this new and living way. And then he shared the cup with them. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And it's shed for the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins. And he told them to drink all of it. And so in following the command of Jesus and so that we would continue to remember his death and this place that he's given to us, we continue to take of this meal, okay? And so what we like to say is if you're here at Granada, we don't ask anybody to pretend to be something that you're not. So if you haven't personally taken Jesus into your life, um, we'd encourage you to stay where you are and just meditate on the gospel, on God's love for you and Jesus. But if you have, I want to encourage you to come forward, and there'll be four stations downstairs and one in the balcony, and take of the bread and the cup to celebrate, to remember, to live and rest in this place you have with Jesus in God's family until Jesus comes. Okay, so again, if that's you, please come and take of this meal. Let me tell you how. Um, we do this, and then I'll share the institution, and we'll, we'll be prepared to serve. Um, we um, to um, keep from having a crash down here on this floor. We come down the side aisle and return by the center aisle and wall aisle. And as, as I said, there'll be four stations down here. And what I would love for you to do is to go back to your place and take that bread when you're ready to. Spend a moment to connect with the Father who loves you. Thank him for his grace in your life, the forgiveness that's yours in Jesus. And then if you hold on to that cup, it's the reminder and picture of the fact that we're saved not just as individuals, but as a community. We can only walk together through the blood of Jesus. So at the end, I'll prompt all of us to take the cup together, okay? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the third cup of the Passover called the cup of redemption. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take, drink ye all of it. Let's pray together. Father, we need this new and living way 
We've lived too long wondering if you care for us, feeling such a distance. And Lord, we know it's not because um, you've kept your distance, because we know in Jesus you have drawn near. And so I pray that even as we take of the bread and the cup, our eyes will be opened and we will be able to see just how long and high, how wide and deep is your love for us in Jesus. And we'll be able to say, Abba, Abba, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.